0: Hello, and welcome to Tunneling Journal's podcast series, Our Underground Future, episode two, in partnership with Heron Connect, supplier for modern tunnel systems that pave the way for the future. To master every small and large underground construction project, the technology leader Heron Connect develops project-specific tunneling technologies that turn visions into reality. Visit heronconnect.com for more information, pioneering underground technologies. In this legally-themed episode, Professor Dix draws on almost 30 years global legal experience as a disaster investigator, lawyer and barrister with his candid insights and advice on how to manage personal professional legal risks when doing your job underground in any country on earth.
1: This podcast is for you as an individual, not a corporation, not a company, not a a big, sophisticated organisation, this podcast is for you. You as the son, you as a daughter, you as a partner, you as an artist, a poet, the real you. It's about helping you sleep at night. It's about acknowledging that none of us, none of us can see precisely into the future. It's about knowing that none of us intend to kill When we go to work, it's about the choices we make on a daily basis, choices we are trained to make and paid to perform. It's about the choices we make when predicting the future. And these predictions we sometimes get wrong. If you get the future wrong, if you get your predictions wrong about the future for all the right reasons, actually you don't have a legal problem. But if you get the future wrong and you were not doing your job properly, you may have a problem. I'm sharing my experience and lessons as a lawyer to empower you, to empower you to be more confident delivering, maintaining and operating the critically important underground faces we create the spaces that must be created for the future of humanity, the spaces that deliver the quality of life that we aspire to collectively on the planet. Now, my safe, and I have a safe, a physical safe, is flooded, flooded with tears, literally tears in the form of documents and interviews from individuals, not corporations, Wanting a safe place to store and record their account of decisions and events that may someday result in a catastrophe. Why? Why would they come to me and put their stories in my safe? Well, because in every workplace, every workplace, every workplace in the entire world, there are KPIs, deliverables, job threats, differences in professional opinion. All manner of things that collectively torment us as individuals. Professionals, good-minded individuals, we tormented because sometimes we make decisions we're not comfortable with. Sometimes we're even ashamed of them. It doesn't mean anything goes wrong, but it does mean that if something goes wrong, we're vulnerable. More commonly, what we think of as good decisions turn out wrong. Our predictions of the future, for all the right reasons, using all the right tools, having pained ourselves and deliberated and computed, done all the right things, in the end, the universe has a way of playing tricks on us and we're wrong. What I'm sharing with you comes from nearly 30 years experiencing the pain of investigating underground disasters, the things that go wrong more often than not when someone gets killed. I investigate the deaths. I hunt for the cause. I look for the guilty. Let me share my secrets. Let me help you. Your decisions your actions involve choices, professional judgments, selecting from a range of options. That's at the heart of what you do. That's at the heart of what we all do on a day-to-day basis. We make decisions and choices and we exercise judgment. I want you to understand that the choices you make need to be able to be demonstrated as appropriate choices. Even if, even if one day they were proved wrong, they were okay for you to make. This underground infrastructure stuff, this drive we collectively have to assist humanity is hard. In these underground spaces, there is the ever-present and real risk of causing death and destruction. We as humans aren't well adapted for living underground, despite, despite all the nice things we say about it. Fact is, we evolved up here on the surface. And our senses and our bodies and our biological functions are adjusted for life at the surface Our bodies can't even deal with the forces routinely experienced by a humble earthworm, let alone a lump of rock falling on our head, a fire, a flood, a collapse. We're just not built for it. And of course, that's why our task, delivering humanity's subsurface infrastructure, is complex and requires careful consideration, deliberation and judgement. So, let me set the scene. What I'm going to do here, firstly, is put the deaths and losses and other harms into perspective. I'm going to then introduce you to some common legal principles. I'm going to explore how to determine what is expected of you legally. I'm going to provide some tips on how to ensure that Well, when the future doesn't go quite according to your plan, you can explain, and what's what's more, what's so important, not just explain, but you have got evidence, evidence that you did your job right. It's not that history has proven you're wrong, it's that you did your job right, and if you can do that, you're not going to end up in jail for no good reason. The simplest The oldest and arguably the best way to protect yourself is by keeping your own diary. I know, not very technologically exciting, but have a think about it. What's a diary? It's a contemporaneous note. It means you made that note at the time you made the particular choice decision, took the particular action. It's a note that can't easily be changed. My friends, the digital world is easy to change. The digital shadow of all the things we create weaves a tapestry behind us that is enormous, enormous. Keep a record for yourself and accept that you cannot tell the future. If all else fails, if you remember nothing else from our little discussion, when asked the question, why did you do that? Say something like, believe something like, let your professional approach to your work be like, if I knew then what I know now, I'll say it again, If I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have done it the way I did. But at the time, I thought it was the right thing to do. Those words capture the essence of what it is to be professional. Those words capture the essence of the fallibility of a human being doing their best. If that's all you remember, from this discussion, I'm content. There's something more. I wouldn't have to talk about this if I was sure that each of you would just stay in the little country that you grew up in, practice away, not ever swap into another jurisdiction, but I know that's not the case you must be sensitive to the moral codes in the countries and places you work you've got to understand what is considered moral there the question of your criminality of your personal legal exposure is not on the basis of your belief system at home it's on the belief system in the place you are this criminal stuff is about a society, a group of people who are collectively working for their their collective good, it's about that society and what their moral norms are and how they conduct themselves. And if you're there working, you're their guest and you have to play by their rules. Think about that. Make it how you work, even if it's just swapping between states. Even, for example, in the United States, swapping between different jurisdictions within the United States has different legal obligations on us professionally, let alone going to different countries. My aim is to make you more confident and better at playing your part in delivering underground infrastructure. I want you to be given a fair go. I want you to be in a position to explain why you did what you did, even though in retrospect, it might be considered wrong. And there's some things I'm not going to deal with. I'm not dealing with things like bribery and corruption. I'm actually going to talk about that in another, at another time. And I'm not talking about strict, what we call strict liability offences like drugs and sex related things. Interesting as they might be, that's not what this is about. I'm talking professional to professional here. So the thing the thing about the subsurface, it has the potential to kill people spectacularly, all one by one. That's extremely expensive to remediate, often more than the project costs itself. And by goodness, if you're under a city, it can be disruptive for the whole city as well. Never intentional. I have never, ever investigated an incident where my view was it was intentional. Statistically, people tend to be killed, even in the best projects of the world, in the best countries. This is not something that respects boundaries. The rates might be different, but death and destruction is not. And worker deaths are an ever-present issue. I can't share the details of all the disasters I've investigated because of course they're extremely confidential, but my perspectives come from investigations conducted in all countries in both construction and operational contexts. Let's look at this practically. Think about what you do. If you're into construction underground, and I'm, I'm not referring specifically to anything, I'm just talking in the abstract, okay? It's our, our secret just between us. Say, for example, you're building a cross passage and you've got a method statement that might seem conservative to you. You know, it's say, uh, excavate one metre, then put up the lattice girders, um, bring in your shock crete, then do another drive. And it's taking a long time and you're under a lot of pressure. Because, as usual, the cross passages are slowing down the project. It's not up to you to speed it up by increasing the length of the unsupported drive unless you are very sure that you understand why the one metre drive is part of the method statement. You've got to be so careful that you don't inadvertently stumble into making very serious decisions that affect the risk of construction if you don't fully understand all the factors that are being managed, for example, by the design team in the development of a method statement. You know, if you're on a TBM uh, and you're inclined to leave it in open mode just because it's faster than in closed mode, just think again about that decision and make sure you understand the implications of what you're doing and why it might be that your TBM has got multi-mode capability. If you're in the operational space, don't just keep the tunnel running to keep your client happy if the minimum operating requirements dictate it should be closed. like don't assume responsibility for decisions which may end up catastrophic if you don't understand the context in which they've been made. Don't fake or have any part in faking poor commissioning and testing of systems in complex infrastructure. Think about the implications of what you do and the consequences of your action because I tell you this, when something does go wrong in the future, the investigation is likely to be thorough. And I mean very thorough. I'm talking line by line analysis of emails. I'm talking going to each piece of equipment and extracting the logs, the actual logs from electric motors. I'm not sure if you're aware, but a whole lot of supposedly dumb equipment this day comes with its own logging systems for its operation. And you can join the dots with this digital history from everything from a motor right through to a comment, a tweet, an email, times, dates, who's in the group, who's not, who opened it, when you opened it, what you saw, what you didn't see, even what you looked at, history on documents, document control, document tracking. Be very careful about what I'm going to call your digital shadow. The clue to where the the risk lies for us uh, really comes out of the data that's shared by the insurers, particularly in the construction space. And my insurer of choice there is Munich Reinsurance because they produce and distribute details on their losses. And there's a lot to be learned from them. So in the ground failure space, underground failure space, what their data shows us is that by far the biggest cause of failures is a combination of defective construction and design errors. It's interesting. I actually thought insufficient ground investigation would be right up there, but according to the Munich data, uh, they're suggesting that only accounts for about bit over 10%, whereas in their experience between defective construction and design errors, it's up in the 60 odd percent. Now, assuming that's true, that means during the construction phase, each of us as technically competent people involved in the construction process need to have our eyes open. Our eyes open for defective construction. Our eyes open for design errors is the ground. Is the ground actually reacting in the way that we thought? Is there something about what we're observing, what we're seeing, what we're hearing? Is there something not as expected? And reacting to it. And reacting to it. Not just observing it, not just noting it, but actually consolidating that information and reacting to it because that's one of the things about law that you've got to understand. It's not just about action. It's about inaction. And for those of you who were involved with the Nicol Highway collapse or perhaps the Heathrow Terminal collapse, it's not just that the collapse has occurred, it's that the writing literally was on the wall, that the data was showing that a collapse was imminent, that everything was pointing to there's something being wrong, there's something wrong in what we're doing. The ground is telling us there's something wrong. That, my friends, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for what you didn't do as much as what you did do. I'm looking for turning your back. I'm looking for you not exercising your care, your due care. They're the sorts of things as an investigator I'm interested in, not just the choices you made, but also what you didn't do. And these collapses, don't think because you're working in a particular country that prides itself on uh, how you know, technically wonderful it is that it's not going to happen to you. Trust trust me. It's just lurking there. Just lurking, waiting to get you. So whether you're um, building the Munich Metro in Germany or Metro Taipei in Taiwan or the Los Angeles Metro in the US or you know, uh, Heathrow in uh, London or Taegu Metro in Korea or the Bologna, Florence, uh, TAV in Italy or the Shanghai Metro in the People's Republic of China or you're in Prague on the Stamoika Tunnel Project or you're on the Big Dig in Boston or you're in the Circle Line 4 in Singapore. It's just waiting around the corner. The future is not necessarily as you imagine. and operationally it's the same whether you're into rail or roads or pedestrian tunnels or even service tunnels or service tunnels in hydro or whatever it is operational deaths in tunnels are also just around the corner always looking looking at you always potentially there because we are not built to be underground as people we don't cope well underground when things don't go according to plan because we're not built for it. We can't see, we can't breathe, we get squashed. So in the context of billions of journeys globally in our underground infrastructure, which for the most part are incredibly safe, and the huge portfolio of underground construction increasingly under pressure with greater project cost pressures and greater time pressures and economic issues and all the rest of it the possibility of the future not being as predicted is great and the pressure the pressure upon us the actual pressure personal pressure upon us to get on with it higher than ever so this is where i want to advise you on the law and the mindset. I want you to carry the following mindset with you. You should assume that all your clients want from you is a solution, that they're not interested in the technical detail, that they don't understand the complexity of what we do. They are paying us as experts for a result. They tolerate us because the outcomes we bring are worth the pain and cost we cause them. Remembering that cost we cause them is diverting money away from other very noble investment options, whether it's in education or hospitals or whatever, right? We're diverting money into our infrastructure because we're saying and they believe us or they're saying and we're helping them, this infrastructure is what you need to deliver quality of life for your citizens. This is part of the way our humanity has a decent life on the planet. And they expect us to act honorably. And they assume if something goes wrong, it's our fault. And they don't believe there's any relationship between how they behave, whether it's unfair contracting, unrealistic pressures put upon us, whatever. They assume none of that makes any difference at all to what goes wrong because they're paying for us, we're professional, and we're going to do the right thing. So you assume all of that. That's the mindset I want you to be in. From now on, assume if it all goes wrong, you're not going to have any best friends on the side of the client because the client is expecting us to be professional and to deliver them a solution. So within this context, let's consider the law. The law is about your professional conduct. And because it's an international discussion, it has to be a discussion that applies anywhere on the planet. So, let me let me just share something with you. Always, always, always you'll be judged after the event. So, the evidence trail is critical. The evidence of what you did linked to why you did it is critical. And because the digital footprint today is so extensive, Communication logs, social media, equipment logs, etc. You've got to be on high alert. You've got to be the master of that trail. And if something bad happens, just remember, and I can't stress this enough just remember if something bad happens, organisations often freeze access to your corporate digital accounts, for example, your emails, and lock you out of the office. Now, we politely call that paid leave. But basically, you're put into the cold and the dark. I'm just going to whisper this bit, okay, because I don't want anyone to hear We might be sitting next to you through your earphones. I have had CEOs from major organisations come to me at night begging that I give them documents that contain the basis for the decisions that they've made because they've been locked out of their office following fatalities. CEOs, do not think that because of your big fangled high position in your organization or your low position in the organization, wherever you might be, that you're immune from this. If something bad happens, you should assume you're going to be out in the cold. So, you need to think of that in advance. So, let's consider the law. Conceptually, a crime, you need two things. You need something bad and injurious to happen to the public generally and you need some sort of a moral wrong. Well, something injurious happening to the public, something bad for everybody, tunnel's a big prime example of that. Something bad happens at the tunnel, we've got that. So the problem then for you is the moral wrong because there's a moral dimension to this. And in a moral wrong, there's an element of choice. So if you've made the wrong choice for all the right reasons in all of our legal systems for this sort of professional misconduct allegation, you're okay. But the problem is there's not one single global moral code. So you have to understand the local moral code. And to highlight this, for example, if you you kill a cow in one country, it's okay. There's a collapse, kills a cow. It's okay, kill a cow. Maybe you have a barbecue, I don't know. But in another country, if your decisions resulted in the killing of the cow, there's the possibility that you'll be imprisoned, potentially executed. Serious. Or perhaps the next one, an aquifer. Of course, we're worried about aquifers and we don't want to disturb aquifers and that's just an underlying principle of what we do. But what if that aquifer leads to a spring and that spring holds special national or international significance from a religious and philosophical point of view? The difference between interfering with an aquifer in one country compared with interfering with an aquifer in another where it's got this national identity and religious connotations can be enormously difficult. And you've got to know that. You've got to know that in advance so that you can harmonise your professional conduct to the moral standards of the place that you're working. You've got to be in tune because the criminal act, a decision that you've acted in a criminal way is not based upon your belief system from your country. It's based upon the the belief system in the country you're in. You have to understand what they do there. What's the law in the place you're working? Not what's the law in the place you're from, not what your belief system is. What is the belief system where you are? And you've got to be attuned to that. And you've also got to understand that it can change. A change of government can change the moral position in relation to crime. So, you know, if we go back, say, 4,000 years, which is a long time to go back, but just to highlight the point, when Emperor Hammurabi enacted the Code of Hammurabi, the law in relation to construction was really simple, Law 229. If a builder builds a house for someone and doesn't construct it properly and the house which he builds falls and kills its owner, then the builder shall be put to death. It's pretty straightforward. So, got a contract, you build the house, you don't construct it properly. That's it properly. That's the bit that I'm really talking to you about. Got to build it properly. What does properly mean? Get it wrong, kill the owner, you'll be killed. Straightforward. But there's some good news. Even 4,000 years ago, if you kill the son of the owner, then you won't get killed, just your son will get killed. And by implication, if you're... House falls down and it just kills a daughter or a wife, it's okay because that's not covered by the law. Laws change in time. Governments change. Regimes change. Be careful. Give you another example, really simple example, just to highlight the point. You see somebody, they need your assistance. Say they're having a heart attack. Uh, It's a first aid thing. What, What do you think? Do you think you're going to go and help? Well, if, you're, if, if someone needs your help and you're in Australia, you don't have to help. If someone needs your help and you're in China, you don't have to help. If someone needs your help and you're in France, you have to help. If someone needs your help in Germany, you have to help. If someone needs your help in Japan, you don't have to help. If someone needs your help in Switzerland, you do have to help. If someone needs your help in the United Kingdom, you don't have to help. If someone needs your help in the United States, you don't have to help. You see, something as simple as that highlights how different the law can be from place to place. So your judgment your judgment has to be tuned to the local context. So... What is it then that we do? Like, we're technical people. What do we do as engineers and tunnelling professionals? Well, we exercise professional knowledge. We use our skills to deliver an outcome for our client. What we do isn't obvious. It's not intuitive. It's not common. There's special training and experience required, and we're involved in predicting and managing the future. That's what we do. That's what we're paid for. That's why people get us in to help. And if you get it wrong, and you get it wrong for the wrong reasons, that's when the criminal law comes to get you. Now, it's interesting because in all countries, all countries, doesn't matter what the system is, doesn't matter whether it's a dictatorship or a um, democracy or what have you, when the harm relates from someone's negligence, i.e. they haven't done the job as they are expected to do. We say that they've you know, acted wrongly. We're not merely describing their state of mind. We're referring to the fact that they failed to comply with the standard of conduct which a person in their position should have complied with. It's a standard required to actually do your job properly. And for technical people, there are some old cases that look at what well, what is it we do, say from the 1890s in a case of Coombe and, Beed, and I'm just citing it as an example. I'm not saying it's the law now, but just to give you the flavour of it, engineers possess skill and ability sufficient to enable them to perform the required services at least ordinarily and reasonably well and that they will exercise and apply in a given case their skill and ability and judgment reasonably and without neglect, but the undertaking does not imply or warranty a satisfactory result. That is, the future might not be as predicted, but that's okay. This shows that when you're doing your job, you've got to exercise your judgment responsibly. And the cases say And my experience is that the general view, and I'll just quote from a case from the 1950s of Cugney and Bertrand, those who hire experts are not justified in expecting infallibility but can expect only reasonable care and competence. They purchase a service, not insurance. So, actually the law isn't as unreasonable as you might have thought. In fact, courts are quite reasonable about how you're you're judged. Uh, in another case uh, from the 1960s in uh Bodden-Nun and McCain against Snow, the court said, because knowledge is always increasing, an engineer will be held to possess only that knowledge and skill available to his pre- profession at the time he was employed. Or... In a case from Minnesota in the 80s, City of Moundsview versus Willajavi, because of the inescapable possibility of error, the law has traditionally required not perfect results, but rather the exercise of that skill and judgment that can be reasonably expected from similarly situated professionals. And if we hold ourselves out as having particular expertise, if we say this is what we do, which is what we do, because that's why we do what we do, we say, trust us, we can do it, then the courts generally say, and the view generally around the world is, that, and I'm just highlighted by a case in the 50s of Hill and Polar Pantries, When a person holds himself out as specially qualified to perform work of a particular character, there is an implied warranty that the work which he undertakes shall be of a proper workmanship and reasonable fitness for its intended use. And if a party furnishes specifications and plans for a contractor to follow, he thereby impliedly warrants their sufficiency for purpose. All right? So, designers, you're on the hook. Builders, build according to the design. It's pretty straightforward. But, 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 and here's the big but, and I'm going to separately talk to you about this. You can't just follow a standard, okay? You've got to exercise your own personal, professional judgment. Uh, And I'm just quoting from a case in the 1930s, Mercer against the Commissioner for Road Transport and Tramways. It is largely irrelevant whether or not the bridge was designed and constructed in accordance with the relevant guidelines since Uh, As the court has said, the mere fact that a defendant follows common practice does not necessarily show that he is not negligent. Though the general practice of prudent men is an important evidentiary fact. A common practice may be shown by evidence to be itself negligent. And that is the general way in which the question of criminality has been determined. So here are the unifying principles. Not just judged in retrospect, the wisdom of hindsight, but you are required to prove what you considered at the time. Other expert opinion will be relied upon. So, opinions about whether what you did was good enough will be sought out. There will be other experts. So, that's why I'm recommending to you keep a diary, keep a record, have your own trail to be able to demonstrate why you did what you did. So, practically, make sure you've got material that you can rely upon to show not just what you say now about what happened in the past, but in the past, evidence of why you took the decision you did. Because it's hard to prove that. It's hard to show why you did or didn't do something in the past. But it's easy to prove it if there are documents or documentary records but my warning there is remember you might be out in the cold you might not have access to the things in your office so having a diary of some sort is really important and remember with the digital record parts of that can be altered by others so it's better to have your own record which if you like is a sealed record hence why people put things in my safe, because I'm not about to change it, it's in my safe, it's been in my safe for a decade or more, so that if something were to happen, there's evidence that can be relied upon about the state of mind of the decision-maker, you, the person exercising the judgment at the time you made that judgment, at the time you took the action, at the time you did what you did. Know what your job description is, What are you personally responsible for? Who reports to you? Whose actions are you responsible for? And who controls you? You want to know that. You want to be clear about that because that's part of your personal risk profile if something goes wrong. You want to understand your position in the corporate ladder. You want to understand if a person in that position attracts special criminal liability in the particular country you're in at the particular time you're working. Remember, you might get locked out of your company computer system. Remember, there is an opportunity to record contemporaneously the process you've gone through for your decisions or the anguish you've gone through for your decisions and and actions. It's okay to have anguish and still continue on in your job. It's fine to do what you're told. You just need to be able to demonstrate that the decision wasn't yours. In the end, the decision was taken from you by someone in higher authority. You have to be able to demonstrate where you sit in the tree. Otherwise, otherwise, when the investigation takes place, the good old pass the parcel game usually ends up with blame on the person least able to defend themselves and explain what they did. So, in summary, can't predict the future. You're expected to use your skill and judgment professionally. We all make compromises in our daily work, and that's okay. Perfect is not what's required. Reasonable is what's required. No one, no one ever, at least in my experience, in my entire career, intends to cause harm. But, When the future isn't as predicted, there will be an investigation and you need to be in a position to explain why you discharged your roles and responsibilities professionally and responsibility. Keep your own records. If possible, a diary under your own control. A diary in which it's clear if it's been altered or not. I'll leave it to you to figure out what sort of diary that is. Be prepared for being locked out of your work records, sensitize yourself and adjust how you work to local moral conditions. The local conditions define your legal vulnerability, not your personal moral position. And that essentially is a template for you to go forward, do your job responsibly, to discharge your professional responsibilities and to be able to be comfortable and effective doing your job at any place on the planet in any country at any time because that's how the professional criminal law works and if you understand it if you get it you can protect yourself and you can do a mighty fine professional job. So on that note, happy tunnel building, happy tunnel operating, and let's get out there and make the world a better place.
0: That was internationally acclaimed underground expert, Professor Arnold Dix, lawyer, scientist and engineer. Having now established the legal framework for performing professional tasks, Tunneling Journal's next podcast will examine the role, limitations, and strengths of the most popular risk-based decision-making tools in assisting underground professionals make robust and defensible expert judgments and decisions. Thank you for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Tunneling Journal in partnership with Heron Connect. Heron Connect Tunneling Technology paves the way for continuous progress of underground infrastructure. Visit herringconnect.com for more information, pioneering underground technologies.